0: You're listening to The Quintz Podcast. It's day 36 of the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war and a lot has happened in just this past week. From Russia and Ukraine coming to the negotiation table in Istanbul to Russia announcing for the first time that it will be reducing military presence in Kiev and surrounding regions to Ukraine pitching the idea of declaring itself a neutral nation to end the war. While the peace talks have offered a glimmer of hope, there have been no breakthroughs yet. The two nations at war, however, have decided to resume peace talks from 1st April. Over the past month, we have seen how the severe sanctions slapped on Russia has affected not only its own economy, but the world. price of crude oil and natural gas has been spiking almost daily, and we in India can also feel this impact. In the past 10 days, the price of petrol and diesel has increased nine times in India. While India has supported calls for a ceasefire and a diplomatic solution, it has so far abstained from every vote for draft resolutions condemning Russia. This fence-sitting has also led to a growing unease on the diplomatic front for India, with Germany, Australia and the US critiquing India for its stance. What may have made matters worse is the two-day visit of Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov to New Delhi on 31st March. The agenda of this visit is not public yet, but it does put India in a tricky position, especially with the fellow Quad countries. So in today's episode, we go through the recent developments in the ongoing war and what this signify. Joining me today to unpack this is our regular guest and a friend of the show, Professor Hershvi Pant, the Director of Strategic Studies at the Observer Research Foundation. Are tuned in to the big story, the podcast where we dissect the headline making news for you. And I'm your host, Emmat. Let's start with the big news, which is Russia and Ukraine coming to the negotiation table in Istanbul on 29th March. Ahead of the talks, Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky continued to insist on the quote-unquote sovereign and territorial integrity of his country and that the effective guarantees to ensure the same are mandatory. However, according to an Al Jazeera report, his tone changed when speaking to Russian journalists where he stated that he is willing to compromise over the status of the eastern Donbass region as part of a peace deal. He reportedly said, and I quote, security guarantees and neutrality, non-nuclear status of our state, we are ready to go for it. And this is exactly what Ukraine brought to the table in Istanbul as well, where it gave a detailed plan for becoming a neutral country. So, what exactly does being a neutral country entail? Well, as you may know, there are a few neutral countries like Switzerland and Sweden who have historically never participated in any wars. And that is the main component of being a neutral country. You can't engage in a war, you can't enter military alliances nor send military aid to any country which is part of a war. You also can't provide your territory, neither land or sea, to harbor any armament of a belligerent. And this is not the first time Ukraine has become neutral. In fact, achieving a neutral status is part of Ukraine's constitution and it was one until 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea. Now, for Ukraine, neutrality would mean that it has to give up its desire to join NATO or any other military alliances as well. But is this the best way forward for Ukraine to end this war? And if Ukraine does become neutral, will Russia respect its new status? We took this question to Prof. Harsh the Director and Head of Strategic Studies at the Observer Research Foundation. According to him, while neutrality may give Russia an option to save face in this war, it is a delicate question for Ukraine and would require strong legally binding guarantees from all stakeholders in this conflict.
1: Uh, See, I think the contours of that neutrality, as uh, President Zelensky is saying, will have to be formally guaranteed. So I don't think um, uh, I think there is a uh, there is a recognition in Ukraine that uh, look uh, neutrality in and of itself is not the solution to this problem. Uh, and while this will give uh, Russia uh, a means to uh, you know save save Russia's you know save, save, save and then come to the diplomatic uh, you know conclusion to a certain degree, mm. but from Ukrainian perspective. Uh, this would require more than just you know framing it in, in, in neutrality terms. It would also mean that all the stakeholders would have to guarantee uh, that uh, Ukraine will be um, they, you know uh, will remain an independent and sovereign nation state. And I think they are saying this because they are not really sure of uh, of uh, Russian commitments in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the challenge would be uh, that uh, from from from, a, from the perspective of Ukraine, that so long as Mr. Putin is in office. Uh, you know, his desire to see the the historical wrongs what he perceives rectified
2: would mm-hmm. mean
1: that uh, any independent streak by Ukraine would be resisted. So mm-hmm. I think for Ukraine it's going to be a very delicate question of how far to, you know they can go with this idea of neutrality. Mm-hmm. But certainly I think they are they they are putting it out there in the front so that at least it can begin uh, that conversation forward. But uh, as you can see they are also talking about. Uh, this neutrality being guaranteed by, by the other stakeholders.
0: Speaking of Russia's saving face, there are a few signs that it may be reconsidering its options in this war. As the peace talks commenced on 29 March, Russia also announced that it has decided to withdraw Russian forces from near Kiev and Chernihiv to, quote-unquote, increase mutual trust at the peace talks. However, our listeners should note that the shelling in both these cities continued even after this statement. And the statement of reduction of Russian troops also needs to be taken with a grain of salt, according to a Guardian report. The report states that while some movement of troops from the north towards Belarus has been detected, this appears to be part of a normal operation of redeployment. More so, Zelensky in a statement on the same day also noted that, quote-unquote, Ukrainians are not naive people, and that after 34 days of invasion, the only thing they can trust is a concrete result. But this move to reduce troops around Kiev is also worrying, according to a British Ministry of Defence statement. The statement reads, and I quote, it is highly likely that Russia will seek to divert combat power from the north to the offensive in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions in the east. End quote. According to Professor Pant, it is too early to state what this move exactly means, but that it is in Russia's interest to pull back the focus to Donetsk and Luhansk as originally planned to offer credible deliverables to Putin.
1: Well, I think it it, it suggests two things. One is that uh, they they want they, there is a need to, to regroup and there is a need to refocus their energies on some uh, credible deliverables and i think uh in uhets are the areas that they would like now to focus uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think they have they' have, they have seen that uh, Expanding it to whole of Ukraine is not giving them any advantage. And they need to focus and they need to regroup and they need to get back to the basics. But hmm. it also, I think, uh, you know, is uh, something um, uh, you know, a bit too early to say that they are they, they would reduce uh, a campaign or they would. You know, they, I think uh, Ukrainians have said that they don't believe what the Russians are saying. Hmm. Uh, that they, you know they don't expect any lowering of the guard from Russia. They, they don't. They do not expect any reduction in uh in, in bombing. we don't expect any reduction in mm. uh, violence, so I think uh, uh, you know it, this this can also be uh, something that uh, that is a that is for public uh, consumption but look uh, we are willing to give these chance we are willing to give a, we are willing to give diplomacy a chance, especially at a time when, when negotiations have just started mm. uh, to, and and then let's see how far those negotiations go i mean unfortunately negotiations have not gone. Uh, you know, anywhere. I think we have had a statement from the Russians themselves saying that they're not mm-hmm. very hopeful about the negotiations. So I think uh, you know, uh, it's a question of also shaping the public narrative because the public narrative has gone against Russia. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know that. Uh, so so I, so my sense would be that uh, I would not read too much into the statement that this juncture, mm-hmm. unless there's something dramatically over a sustained period. We see a reduction in air campaign.
2: Yeah. So over
1: a sustained period, we see a you know, we see a decline in in in, fatality, in, 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 in violence in hostilities. I think unless that happens, it would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, perhaps, uh, in my own sense, it would be, uh, you know, overestimating uh, what Russians
2: are trying to
0: convey. And Putin himself, according to US and EU officials, has been quote-unquote misinformed about the reality of the war and how the Russian army is performing in this war. The White House on 30th March in a statement said that quote-unquote, we believe that Putin is being misinformed by his advisors about how badly the Russian military is performing and how the Russian economy is being crippled by the sanctions because his senior advisors are too afraid to tell him the truth, end quote. The same assessment was also made by Sir Jeremy Fleming, the top boss of the British spy agency GCHQ. In a speech in Australia on 30th March, he stated that, quote-unquote, it's become his, meaning Putin's personal war, with this cost being paid by innocent people in Ukraine and increasingly by ordinary Russians too, end quote. The Kremlin, so far, has not responded to any of these assessments. But its silence does pose the following question. Given Putin's influence on the power over the Russian army and the country itself, is it possible that he's being placed in the dark? According to Professor Pant, it's not surprising that such assessments are being made since Putin has potentially surrounded himself with yes-men. However, he adds that an independent assessment needs to be made on Putin's tactics so far.
1: You know it tends to happen often it's not surprising if, if this is if this is happening of course you know this mm-hmm. this is uh, these are intelligence assessments uh, from uh, from uh, you know from countries which are largely at this area mm-hmm. so uh, you have to take it with that uh, you know with uh, when 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 we are making an independent assessment you have to be very clear in your mind that this is uh, this is not an independent assessment. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I think what uh, this points out to a syndrome which often happens to leaders who are uh, you know uh, who are this powerful who are authoritarian who who tend to often uh, you know um, uh, get removed from the from the of operational realities mm-hmm. uh, so you end up living in a world where your word is the last word. And, uh, and you end up in a system where your closest advisors are also those who either think like you or are <coughs> forced to think like you, right? Mm. The classic group think uh, that, uh, that you will, uh, you know, uh, you will, because you do not like dissent, uh, you mm. surround yourself with people who are basically yes men who talk, who speak a language that you like, uh, and therefore have you have no independent way of assessing uh what is uh, what perhaps uh the the uh round realities so uh, i think if this is happening it its own mr will be, be the first um, leader of, uh, of of this kind because mm. this is quite uh, quite prevalent but i but certainly i think there that, that you know if you look at some of the uh, some of the intelligence uh, in the public domain at, at the moment which is you know which is uh, uh not particularly uh, influenced by uh, political agenda. There is, mm. there is enough intelligence to suggest that uh, certain things have happened, which cannot be denied. The Russian military has underperformed; mm. and they have really not delivered on the ground. Uh, after five, after uh, more than a month uh, of fighting, uh, actually they are struggling to even retain control of of uh, of the ground that they had captured, uh, and uh, Ukrainians have done much better than many were expecting. Mm. Now. Uh, uh, and, and a few Russian top leaders have died. Uh, Russian, uh, you know, Russian um, uh, sort of defense inventory has been, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, tackled effectively by the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. So certain things have happened. Now, if you are if you are looking at it from a military strategic point of view, uh, you would certainly conclude that that it has been uh, it has been a military disaster for Russia. -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, in Russia, given the the disparity between Russia and Ukraine, it was never a contest. But Mm -hmm. every day that Ukraine stands, Ukraine uh, on on its own, Ukraine is making it very clear that, uh, you know, it it has become a contest. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's a a defeat for Russians. Uh, The the whole public perception of Russian military Mm -hmm. as being this giant behemoth. uh, you know, Russian military being modernized. I think all those assumptions will have to be assessed. So mm-hmm. I think certain things have happened, and which will lead you to conclude that certainly the kind of military planning that was that should have been gone into this operation mm-hmm. did not go into this operation. So somewhere uh, you know, there is there is a question of accountability. Uh, and uh, and of course, one of the reasons that you can attribute this to is to the fact that uh, most people would be uh, you know would be reluctant to tell Mr Putin that this or, this is a bad idea to, to go ahead with.
0: In just over five weeks, this war and the sanctions which followed it against Russia has made a significant dent in the world economy. The sanctions and dramatic rising crude oil prices also resulted in the UN Conference on Trade and Development downgrading its global economic growth projections in its 2022 report to 2.6 percent from 3.6 percent. The slowdowns are not only expected in Russia due to the sanctions, but also in parts of Western Europe and across Asia. And it has also hit home in India. While the center in its recent budget forecasted the economy to grow at 6.7% this year, the UN has slid this projection to 4.6%. Now, on the diplomatic front, it's been quite busy for India in the past few weeks. India has been facing pushback for its middle ground stance on the war so far, and navigating this neutral stance became all the more tricky after visits from both the Chinese and Russian foreign ministers to India. Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov will be visiting India till 1st April. Though the agenda is not known, media reports point out that it will be to discuss the rupee-ruble payments amid sanctions and the updates on the arms agreements. During Lavrov's visit, India is also hosting the US Deputy National Security Advisor for International Economics, Dalip Singh and Lavrov's visit to India has already invited criticism. Dalit Singh, during his visit, cautioned India against expecting Russia to come to the country's defense if China were to violate the LAC since Moscow and Beijing are now in a quote-unquote no-limits partnership. Now, given this, should India change its stance given the escalating conflict and the pushback received from other countries? Is it in India's best interest to continue relations with Russia? Professor Pant, we See, I think um,
2: uh,
1: when you say most of the world has stepped away, I don't... Hmm. uh, You know, uh, uh, I'm not so sure what kind of stepping away it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. most of the Europeans are still dealing with Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are still buying oil from Russia. They are still, I mean, they have said that they are planning to reduce it over the Mm -hmm. next few months. But as of now, the purchase of oil, the purchase of gas continues.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, They are saying that, uh, you know, that, uh, for example, Germany has said to its citizens that there is a possibility of shortage. Because mm-hmm. the Russians uh, want payments and we can't make those payments. They want payments in rubles. We can't. We only want to make payments in, in euros. So I think mm-hmm. uh, you know the the transactions are continuing for much of the for much mm-hmm. of the world. Of course, they are being they are being reduced. Uh, of course, Europe has learned its lessons. Or Europe is going to reduce its dependence. But mm-hmm. as of now, they continue with it. So I don't think that Indians are particularly alone in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, what India is, of course, doing is also trying to find a way to to make the payments for what it already purchased, uh, what what has already been purchased from Russia. So you mm-hmm. have to work out a ruble arrangement, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the, the traditional uh, banking format is not working. Uh, Russians mm-hmm. have offered an alternative to Swift to Russia. So I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, India is, is really not that alone. Uh, and I think for India, uh, and I and and, and you do see a certain acceptance of that logic today, even. Uh, even you know, when you hear statements, you know that the, the from the Western capitals. Now, a lot of the Western leaders are also visiting India. Hmm. You have uh, German National Security advisor visiting India. You have uh, British Foreign Secretary in India. You have uh, uh, you know the uh, U.S. Secretary uh, MSA in India. So they are also in India, and I think hmm. all of them are telling India that eventually you know it's a good, it might be a good idea to reduce dependence, and hmm. India is listening. But Mm -hmm. the issue is that uh, the kind of dependence that India has in particular, which is defense dependence.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, See, if if Europeans are finding it so difficult to reduce oil and gas dependence on Russia, Mm -hmm. you can imagine a situation for India, which is defense. Mm -hmm. Defense dependence is not something that happens in a Jiffy. It requires decades. So I don't think, and I think that's a, that's a point that India has made to its interlocutors, Western mm. interlocutors, and there is a fair degree of acceptance of the logic of this arrangement. That India mm. will, certainly, you know, India has certain problems, India has uh, issues with its different uh, engagements with Russia, and that will, is not something that India is going to, going to go ahead and do in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, India has also evolved its position. India's position today, you know, if you see, for example, um, Egypt, the British Prime Minister and Indian Prime Minister talking, uh, both of them, in India joined, statement said that uh, Russia should follow UN Charter. Now, this mm-hmm. is one of the strongest statements from India uh, vis-a-vis Russia, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, that India is now framing its approach vis-a-vis Russia in normative terms, in terms that India recognises are going to be very, very crucial when it comes to the Indo-Pacific. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, whatever many in India might say that, uh, you know, what hap- what is happening in Europe has no bearing on Indo-Pacific. The fact is that the normative principles that India pushes in the Indo-Pacific, uh, territorial integrity, sovereignty, rules-based order, mm-hmm. they will be. you, know, you have to uh, live up to them even in other theatres.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: you see that shift happening in Indian position where India is now increasingly talking of sovereignty, territorial integrity, UN Charter, Uh, international law. Hmm. Uh, And and, uh, and I think that is a shift in in India's position with Russia. India will not publicly condemn Russia. India will not say that uh, uh, sanctions against Russia are are needed. Uh, India will not isolate Russia. But I think uh, India will certainly uh, push uh, on the question of uh, you know uh, on the, the framing of this issue, uh, mm-hmm. and that is I think uh, a conversation that perhaps India will also have with Mr
0: Lavrov during and, 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 you know, his visit uh, over the next few days. For more updates on this ongoing conflict, head over to the Quinn's website, and if you're not already, subscribe to the Big Story podcast. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavon, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quints
1: website and check out our other podcasts.